and this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. First Peter 2, 21-25 For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for, t- for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd also like to invite you to look in your worship folders. There's a, an out... Uh, insert, excuse me, I couldn't think of that word for a minute. There's an insert in there for an outline for tonight's sermon, and you can fill in the blanks because, well, that's just fun. It's fun filling in blanks, and I know you're ready to do that. But it helps you keep up with what's going on and with the sermon and helps keep me on track, and it's something you can hold on to throughout the week. Tonight we're talking about look at what Jesus did. Look at what Jesus did. It's very easy in our lives to focus on what we've done, to look at the good that we've done and maybe feel better about ourselves or look at the bad that we've done and feel worse about ourselves. The problem with this is our preferences and what we judge as good or bad seem to change quite a bit as we grow in age. What we valued as a, as a young child and what we value as a teen and what we value as an adult and through the various stages of adulthood, that changes over time. And so it's very, very hard to determine what is and isn't good. Easter reminds us that our lives are are about something bigger than just ourselves. It doesn't dismiss us, it doesn't discount us that we don't matter. In fact, it's the opposite of that. It's, It's that we matter so much to God that he did something so extreme so that we would be made whole and made new. He loved us that much, but he did something that only he could do. And tonight we're going to see four things that Christ did for us that will encourage us if we believe and hold on to these truths. And so we'll start with number one. We'll dive right in. Here's what Jesus did. Number one, look at what he did. He met the standard of perfection. He met the standard of perfection. Now, perfection is elusive. You're never going to find the perfect job. Sorry to say, but you're never going to find the perfect spouse. You're never going to find the perfect app, which is easy for us to understand because they just all mess up, right? We'll never also be able to be perfect on our own power. There's nothing we can do to attain perfection on our own, but somehow we're going to find out that we are let down by others, and we'll also find out that we let other people down. But there's still this desire within us. There's still this desire to grasp perfection, to know it, 
But in God's world, it's not just something that we are to desire. Listen to this. In God's world, perfection is something that is demanded. I'll say that again. Perfection in God's world is not something we should strive for, but it's something that God demands of us. You and I were not, will not enter the presence of God without being destroyed by His holiness unless we are made perfect. Without blemish or flaw is what I mean. Purely perfect. Fortunately for us, Jesus met that standard. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and following. It says, For you have been called for this purpose. And you is Peter writing to Christians. He says, You've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And then speaking of Christ in verse 22, he said, Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Jesus met the standard of perfection. There's a couple things I want us to look at. Two things. First thing I want us to look at is what he avoided perfectly. What he avoided doing perfectly. Here's what he avoided. No sin, no deceit, no retaliation, no threats. We see all of these things happening in that last verse. There's no sin in, in, in Christ. And so he, he perfectly avoided falling to the temptation to sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we read this. It says, He made him, speaking of Christ, God made Christ, who knew no sin, which means sin was not part of him. He didn't, he didn't know it. He, he didn't become it. He didn't do it. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ knew no sin. He avoided it perfectly where you and I cannot do that. The second thing he avoided was perfectly was deceit. There was no deceit in his mouth. There was nothing that came from his mouth which begins in our hearts. The words we say are a reflection of what's in our heart. And there was no deceit in Christ. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says the opposite for us. It says the heart is more deceitful than, any, than, than all else, and the heart is desperately sick, and who can understand it? So it tells us that there's, there's this sin problem that we have that we just cannot fix on our own. But Christ didn't do that. He didn't sin. The second thing he didn't do was retaliation. He absorbed the insults as people were insulting him. He didn't insult them back. I understand he didn't ride the subway. I get it. I get it. However, I feel like I know he still would have resisted to retaliate. He, retali he did not retaliate against the insults. It's very easy for us to, to speak back when we're hurt and hurt people back because I want you to feel the pain that I feel. Christ did not do that. And the fourth thing he avoided perfectly was threats. When he suffered, he didn't threaten the people that were abusing him. He didn't fear their threats and fall into the temptation to threaten them back. He was secure in who he was and secure in what God had called him to do, and he remained pure. So he avoided things perfectly, but we as people have not done that. We have fallen desperately short of God's perfect standard. 
It's unattainable. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it's actually quoting the Old Testament, and it's in another place as well, but it says this, for all have sinned. Every person has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So one thing Christianity does for us very clearly is it levels the playing field and says, we all stink. We have all sinned. We all fall desperately short of God's perfect standard. And so Jesus didn't do what you and I do. He didn't sin. He didn't make the mistakes that you and I make. But he didn't just avoid the bad things. He did the good things. He did perfectly what was good. And we'll see in in verse 23, we'll go back to that. Verse 23, what he did. It says, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. And here's what he did do. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He entrusted himself to the just judge. The merciful judge. He kept trusting that God's going to make it right. Isn't that hard to do? I find that extremely difficult to trust that God's going to make some things right. How can he make right when people cut me off when I'm driving? How can he make things right when I see people starving? How can he make right what is being done when people are abused? How can he make this right? Somehow, some way, Jesus kept trusting the just judge God was going to make things right. He kept doing this, in fact, beyond what any of us would have been able to do and took it all the way to the cross. In Philipp, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, we, it's speaking of Christ here, and it says, being found in the appearance of man, Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient. He was so obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus always was trusting the Father. He was always entrusting Him. And when you and I, when you and I focus on what we've done in life, it's possible for our good to outweigh the bad. I look out here, I see some good people, and I believe you do the right things most of the time. It's possible to be a people that are kind. It's possible for us to be a generous people to those who are in need. It's, it's possible for us without Christ to be a faithful husband, a faithful wife, a faithful friend, a good father, a good mother. It is even possible for some of you to be like me and be the best child your parents ever had. But no matter what, you're never going to be perfect. You'll never be able to be perfect. And this is why Easter is so important. It shows us that this impossible standard, this impossible standard God has set of perfection, it's been met for us in Christ. That it's there, it's accomplished, it is finished, it is done. What he did is something we can never do. He avoided all the bad and he accomplished all the good. He met the standard of perfection. So what this means for us is through faith in Christ, now we can stop killing ourselves to be perfect. We can stop trying to prove ourselves every day. We can stop trying to punish ourselves so that we can become the best of the best. We can forgive ourselves of our past failures. Because of this standard of perfection being met by Christ, we can forgive ourselves for our failures. Because of this perfect standard being met by Christ, listen, you can now forgive those who have let you down. 
those who have failed you. Through faith in Christ, we can live with a confident humility. I know it sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. We can live with confidence and humility because we know that, that we are made complete through Christ's work. But we remain humble in that confidence because it is a gift from God. It's something He has given to us. We didn't deserve it, but God gave it to us anyway. Why did He do that? Because He loves us. That's why. So the first thing we should look at what Jesus did is this. He met the standard of perfection. The second thing He did was this. He bore the penalty of our sin. He bore the penalty of our sin. Now, this is a harder one for some people to accept because the concept of sin itself is offensive in many ways. But when you add on to it that people are going to be punished for their sin, it can make God seem out to be a harsh dictator for judging people for doing wrong when they can't help doing wrong. But I believe deep down, every single one of us yearns for justice. We crave it. We want judgment for sin. Deep down, you and I want the guilty to be punished. That's why we get angry when someone harms someone we love and they get away with it. That's why we stand up for the people who are abused and abandoned and we desire their abusers to be punished. They should pay for what they've done. When people are violated, we understand at some level that it's wrong. There has to be consequences for this. I believe the biggest issue we face in believing there is penalty for our sin isn't the fact that we don't desire justice. I believe we do. But I think the biggest deterrent is that we don't like the idea that we are the bad people. See, the bad people are out there. It's easy for us to see the bad people that are doing things wrong. But it's very difficult, which is why blind spots are called blind spots. You just can't see them. It's very difficult for us to swallow the pill that says, I'm a bad person. I am in need of rescuing. We may be good people in the eyes of the world. I don't discount that at all. We pay taxes begrudgingly, but we do it. We help other people. We bring value to the world around us. But a significant principle that we need to understand is that we're not living in a world of our own making. This isn't something that we came up with. We are living in a world that was created by a holy, righteous, perfect God. A God who created humans, all humans, in His image to live with Him in harmony and to live with Him in peace. But instead of entrusting ourselves to the Creator, like Christ did, we decided we would fulfill the role of God in our lives, that we would judge what's right and what's wrong, we would determine what is best for us, and that is the point when all hell broke loose on earth. We rejected God, and this is the essence of sin. Is that when we say, no thank you, I'm going to do this my own way. And because of that, justice has to be served. But Easter says, tells us that God loves us so much that he didn't want us to suffer the penalty of our sin, which was death. But he just couldn't act like it didn't happen either. You can't be 
a good God and not be a just God. If someone killed your best friend, you couldn't just pretend like it didn't happen. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Of course not. Someone has to be accountable for the sin. And this is what Jesus did. This is what he did. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this, But he himself, Jesus, bore our sin in his body on the cross. Jesus himself bore our sin. He took it upon himself in his body on the cross. Now what we see in this picture is the just dying for the unjust. The one who is righteous and holy dying for those who are unrighteous and unholy. We have sinned against God, our creator. I have a question. What's your favorite? Just consider it. Don't answer it out loud because we don't have time to hear from all of you. But I have a question. What is your favorite memory? Your favorite memory from your six-month birthday? Some of you are laughing. Some of you look like you have an answer, which worries me. (laughs) I would imagine all of us would say, I don't have a clue about anything that happened in my life when I was six months old. We were totally dependent on someone else to give us life, to sustain us. And that principle is still active today for us as adults. Somehow we've started to believe, when when we think that that we can do our own thing, somehow we've believed a lie that we can self-sustain ourselves. But we are 100% dependent upon God to give us life. We are to depend on Him for everything. And and in 1 Peter chapter 3, which we'll cover again in a few weeks, verse 18, it says this, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus gave His life for us so that we could be brought to God. The innocent was given for the guilty. The innocent became guilty so the guilty could become innocent. Guilt deserves a sentence. Punishment fits the crime, has to be done. Jesus bore our sin on the cross. He took what you and I deserved on the cross. And what was deserved was this. Romans 6.23 is a a very well-known verse, and it says this, the wages of sin is death. Sin earns death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Interestingly enough, we can work all we want, but if we are earning things for our sin, if we want what we deserve, what we will get is death. But we want what God gives to us. We want the good gift of life. And because of what Jesus did for us, we're now free to live without the consequence of our sin, death. When we trust in Jesus as Lord, that is now a blip on the radar it's gone. It's, we still have a physical death, but Easter tells us there is a resurrection for us. So death has lost its sting. And now we can live a life of giving ourselves to others because we know we've been accepted by God. We don't have to build up our resume. We don't have to impress people. Now our position has changed, and we, we step back and we say, I'm complete. I'm made whole because of what Christ has done for me. And now I can look at you and I can serve you instead of trying to get something from you. I'm loved by God. I'm accepted by Him. I'm cherished as His child. I am pure. I am 
free, I am holy. And I, that has happened because Christ has borne my sins. Look at what Jesus has done. He bore the penalty of our sin. Number three, look what Jesus did. He flipped the script of sin and death. He flipped the script of sin and death. He, he changed it around. He, he made it the opposite. Sin leads to death, we just saw. That's the penalty. We were created, though, to live forever with God. However, sin caused death, disease, decay to enter the world. But Jesus came at Easter, and he flipped the script. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. That's the first part. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. So instead now of sin leading to death through what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we are now dead to this sin. It means that we have a new life that death cannot defeat. Easter tells us that God seeks to kill sin before sin kills us. He seeks to kill the sin before it kills us. He wants us to have a life to where we are now dead to sin. It means that we look at the sinful nature of our our former selves that wants to make life all about me. We look at that old self and we say, I'm dead to that. That's not who I am anymore. I don't live as my own anymore, but I belong to Jesus. And this life isn't about magnifying myself or building my resume, but it's about magnifying the Lord Jesus and what he has done for me. And what we saw a couple of weeks ago is that what he has done for me and what he's done for us is he has called us out of darkness into marvelous light. That once we were astray and now we have been found once we are in darkness and now we are in light once we were dead in our sins and now we are alive in christ so why would jesus do this for us it's because we're good people it's because he sees what we're doing and he's like you know what that person is worthy of me saving them actually that's not true that was my april fool's joke or statement it wasn't really a joke Jesus doesn't look at us and say, that person's worthy. That person's worthy. I see what they're doing, and it's good. Why does Jesus save us? Titus chapter 3 is one of the many verses that shows us this. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 reads this. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. The reason Jesus has done this for us is because God is a merciful God who looks down upon us and wants to love us, chooses to love us, despite our inadequacies, despite our sin against Him. Again, the reason is not found in what we have done. It's not about looking to me and seeing what I have done for God. It's not about building a resume, but it's about what Jesus has done. So don't look at what you did. Instead, look at what Christ has done. So when you're tempted to sin, which is sin is to to claim what you think you deserve in life, what you think you want. You're rejecting God. When you're tempted to to go against the grain of, of, of God's leading in your life, you can say, no, that's the old me, and that person is dead to sin. That's not who I am anymore. I don't have to live to gratify my own desires, but I live for righteousness. I'm alive in Christ, 
And in doing this, what you'll find is that your desires will be met in ways that you've never known possible. That what you were searching for and what you wanted could never fulfill you as much as when you were able to be grasped by Christ and His love. You find that your soul is satisfied. You'll find joy. You'll find peace. You'll find love that far exceed anything you ever thought possible. Look at what Jesus did. He flipped the script on sin and death. You are dead to sin. The fourth thing is this. Look what Jesus did. This one's more about look what he's still doing. He continues to call the wanderers to return to him. Jesus is continuing to call the wanderers to return to him. Easter reminds us that we were wandering from God and needed him to come and find us. The disciples closest to Jesus, they didn't understand what he was doing to save them. At his crucifixion, most of them scattered and were hopelessly lost when he died. But when Jesus rose from the dead, it changed them. Something was different. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25 reads this. It says, For you were continually straying like sheep, but now, Christians, you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. So they returned to Jesus, and they exchanged their cowardice. When they ran away, they exchanged that for courage. The apostles had enough courage that they were able to be faithful unto death because of their faith and belief in the resurrected Messiah. They came back to the guardian of their soul. They realized, we are lost without you. You are my strength when I'm weak. They were lost without the good shepherd guiding them, and they returned to him. Isaiah 53 is what Peter is quoting here. He's using uh, the scriptures of the Old Testament, is what we call it today, to, to reiterate to his audience what he was writing to them. And he says, and he quotes it, Isaiah 53 says, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity, the sin of all of us, to fall on who? Him. Jesus. Every day is a day for us to return to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Jesus could have written us off as rebels who deserve judgment coming to them. He could have said, you know, let them suffer death and hell and they deserve it for following or or turning themselves away from me. But instead, God is a God of mercy. He's full of grace. And instead of inflicting punishment on us, this is important, instead of inflicting punishment on us for our wandering and rejection of him, Jesus endured the judgment we deserve on our behalf. But then Easter Sunday came. And Jesus, after facing this judgment, was raised from the dead and it breathed new life into this world of sin. It breathed new life in a world that was doomed by death. It breathed hope where there was despondency. It breathed escape where there was captivity to sin because salvation was here. And Jesus is offering this today. He is continuing to offer this to all who will hear his voice and respond to him and let him in. If someone knocks on your door here in New York, if you're like me, you pretend you don't hear them because they want something, right? They want to sell you something. They want to tell you about something you don't want to hear about. 
and it's harder to get away from them. It's easier to, just to ignore them. And I wonder if in this moment the Lord is knocking on the door of some of your hearts and you're tempted to ignore him because you're afraid of what opening that door is going to take. What is it going to cost me to open that door and to give my life to Christ? It will cost you everything you know. But you will gain more than you've ever known possible. You will gain new life and forgiveness. And Jesus is saying in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, we see this verse, and I believe this is still holding true today. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, and I will dine with him, and he with me. It's a picture of God extending an invitation to us, of Jesus standing at the door and knocking and saying, I want to come into your heart. I want to be known by you. And if you will let me in, I will come in and we will dine like we've never dined before. We will feast. And you will have new life in me. Is Jesus knocking on the door of your heart today? And maybe... You've already opened the door, but you've kind of distanced yourself from him. And maybe this is your time to return back to him. Maybe you're wandering in your life, doing your own thing, going your own way, and things aren't working out the way you wanted. Well, today's the day that you can surrender and return to the Good Shepherd. So whether you're a Christian already or whether today's the day you want to become one, Jesus is offering you an invitation to respond to him today. I want to remind you of this. You're going to be tempted as soon as you leave here today to look somewhere else. But I want to remind you to look at what Jesus did. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the only way to be forgiven. Bold claims. Claims that were so egregious that he was killed for them. But if he said those things, and if he faced the penalty of death for it, and he was resurrected three days later, we should pay attention to what he said. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. And the resurrection tells us that Jesus is Lord. Look at what he has done. He created you. He was perfect for you. He took the penalty of your sin he changed your destination from death to eternal life, and he continues to pursue you today. Easter is about returning to the Lord. Look at what Jesus did. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray today that our hearts would run to you, the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. Over and over, you have proven yourself faithful. You are full of mercy and grace and justice. I pray we trust you to make things right in our world. I pray we would be courageous to take steps of faith to be part of reconciling the brokenness in our world. But in the moment that's happening right now, I pray that we will first trust you to make things right within our own souls that you would mend our hearts, that you would forgive us our sins, give us new life, new hearts of righteousness that crave you instead of the destructive and dehumanizing temptations of the world. We bless your name as King, 
Lord and Messiah. Lord Jesus, today is the day where we look to you and we say, my Lord and my God. Amen.